Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. We're happy to have you listening to another Grace Stories, one of our Grace Stories. It's been a little while since we've put one out there because I had a very busy summer traveling and uh, then we wanted to get the series on Romans out there. We So we just uh, released the five-part series on Romans, and we didn't want to interrupt that. We wanted to be consecutive. So uh, we're back to telling a great story today, and I think you really enjoy our guest today. His name is Bud Brown, and uh, we want you to listen. We want you to subscribe. We want you to comment. We want you to like it and then share it because his story, I think, will really hit home with a lot of people. But I got to ask a question here because Bud was living on a, a sailboat for two years and I don't know what that's all about. And I just want him to uh, explain was that it's not a midlife crisis because you're not young enough for a midlife crisis. So no. did you buy the boat? Did you rent a boat? What got on? What itch were you scratching to go into a sailboat? And I don't know where you went. You went all over the place. Yeah. Well, um, it's uh, it was a long time aspiration. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, grow up around the water. Uh, my dad had boats uh, when we were kids, uh, small power boats on the lake that we lived on, big power boats on the Mississippi River. Uh, so, I, and I've always had a love of the water, uh, even as a kid. Uh, and I tell people that uh, for many years, I told people that my happiest moments in life were when I was laying face down in 80 feet of clear water with my gear on. So um, my we waited until my wife retired. Uh, we sold our, our property here in Arizona. Her name is Leon. Uh, and yeah, Lee. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so uh, once she retired, we sold our property and uh, rented a place and then uh, started looking around and spent I'd spent several years prior to that. Uh, uh, we'd sailed um, extensively in Hawaii. I've done the uh, Transpac from California to Hawaii. I've sailed a lot in the Caribbean. So um, uh, and I had some experience. And I know what it was like living on a boat. So um, decided to, to, to go for it. And uh, part of my motivation, I think, was uh, we were seeing some opportunities for ministry uh, right after COVID start to open up in uh, Central America and uh, in some of the uh, Caribbean islands. Um, Haiti and a few other places uh, down in, in uh, near Venezuela and the ABCs and what have you. So uh, my thought was um, that I could, uh, you know, live on the boat, travel to various places and also transport people and uh, uh, transport books and what have you. Kind of like what YWAM does right. uh, with their, with their, their ocean going ministry. So did that for several years, loved every bit of it. And uh, unfortunately, in March of uh, 2022, uh, I had a, a bad accident, uh, 
pulling into an unfamiliar marina at 3 a.m. in Key Largo. And, and uh, in the course of trying to wrestle against the tidal current, wasn't paying attention to where I was stepping, and I fell through uh, an open hatch, uh, broke three ribs, uh, did some damage to my back, and had a, a serious damage to the femoral nerve in my right leg. So mm. I spent about a year, well, I spent probably nine months being able to regain the use of that leg. So mm. um, I I think that, you know, uh, Perhaps the hand of the Lord was in that uh, because kind of the message that I got through all that was the thing that I'm best at is writing and explaining things uh, simply to people. And I need to get serious about that. So I said, okay, Lord. So we ended up buying a house again in Arizona. We've been here now, uh, a, a landlocked sailor now since uh, May of 22. So, yeah. but that, yeah, that I probably told you more than you want to know about the sailboat. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, sailing is a scary proposition to me. I don't know the first thing about it. All I know is that those boats don't have brakes on them. <laughs> I don't know how you stop a sailboat. And uh, the yeah. thing to me is crashing into something, not falling through a hatch, but uh, I guess you, I guess there's danger all around. So are you pretty much recovered from that? Yeah. Um, I'm still have a little bit of weakness in the, uh, quad on my right leg. Um, but it's, it's getting better. Uh, I don't have the pain anymore. So thankful to the Lord for that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and one of the things, uh, one of the real benefits of, uh, I'll share a couple of grace stories Okay. Uh, related to sailing, um, on one trip, I was I was manning a boat as crew. We were sailing from Honolulu to uh, Santa Cruz, California, and um, one of the crew members uh, was um, she had some psychological issues. And uh, she didn't bring enough of her medication with her. So it mm. kind of fell on me because the captain, he had other duties. So it fell on me to spend uh, time with her, praying through with her, talking to her about, um, you know, the love of God and God's superintendence for us or over us. Uh, but the real lesson that I learned personally, uh, I remember one night, I was uh, on on watch from uh, midnight to 4 a.m. And I was kind of bemoaning, uh, this has turned into a miserable trip with all this tension going on. And um, it was in that few hours that the Lord talked me through the fact that my anxiety and my anger at the situation did not have to control me. I could find repose. I could find uh, genuine peace in the midst of this. Uh, and that to me was a very gracious gift that he gave me to be able to, you know, continue on for another 20 days, kind of trapped on a foot sailboat with a crazy person. <laughs> I can't imagine there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. 
The other thing that uh, I think all sailors come to realize is that control in life is merely an illusion. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that life kind of goes on uh, from one day to the next, and we can generally anticipate, you know, what, what's going to happen from one day to the next. And, and we fool ourselves into thinking that the reason we can plan and predict what's going to happen is because we're in control. But when you're out there and you are at the mercy of the wind and the waves, uh, you quickly are disabused of the notion that we have any control whatsoever in life. And that the reason that we prosper is strictly because of God's general providence and, and the grace that attends to those who are faithfully trying to follow Christ. So uh, those were a couple of important spiritual lessons. And I think that they're uh, kind of wrapped up in the whole grace uh, understanding of, of the spiritual life. Absolutely. And they remind me of how Jesus used some sailing incidents to teach people about his power and his grace and his control over things. So and Jonah, Jonah learned that too, didn't he? I just preached Jonah uh, Sunday, so yeah, I'm very familiar with that story. Um, okay. I'm, glad, I'm glad you didn't throw the woman overboard anyway. But, oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So your your, your uh, journey through life uh, hasn't been always smooth sailing, I imagine. So take us back to uh, what kind of uh, upbringing you had. Give us a little background. Uh, were you yeah. raised in a religious setting? Uh, well, um, I, the short answer is we were not raised in a church going home. Uh, every once in a while, uh, mom and dad would drop me and my brothers off at the Methodist church that was a few blocks away for Sunday school. Um, I found out later on in life, um, uh, actually probably about 10, 12 years ago, that my mom was a born-again believer. She came to faith in Christ when she attended an evangelistic crusade in Peoria, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And so I asked her to tell me more about that. And, and she said that she was walking home after the crusade and she got the clear impression that God was speaking to her and inviting her to believe in Christ for eternal life. So, um, but, you know, she, mom was not discipled. She was not raised in a Christian home. And my dad was um, cold toward religion. I won't say that he was hostile, but some things had gone on in his life uh, as a kid growing up in the depression, uh, dirt poor. Mm -hmm. And uh, his his father, my grandfather, uh, I think had a pretty bad case of bipolar disorder. And when he was on his manic phase, he was a religious zealot and mm. preaching the Bible and hammering people with it. So that so my 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 folks uh, were not spiritually minded per se. My mom, I know that she prayed for us quite a bit because we talked about those episodes later on in life, but I was basically raised as nothing. Uh, and yet um, I can look back on instances in my life, uh, you know, going to the Methodist Sunday school classes where all of the kids were 
white shirt and tie and the girls were, uh, you know, nicely dressed and the Sunday school teacher up front of the room with the big maps of the Holy Land suit and tie and all that. Even then, um, there was um, a small, you know, very small um, desire, longing, interest. I'm not sure exactly the right right um, word to use, but it was kind of like a, uh, uh, a sliver in my mind is the way that I'll put it, that it was always there. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, um, when I was uh, in later grade school and getting ready to go to uh, uh, high school, my mom asked me, have you thought at all about what you'd like the direction to take in life? And it kind of surprised me because <laughs> I said, well, I might want to be a dentist, but I also might want to be a minister. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had no idea. So, you know, that was kind of the environment that, uh, that we grew up in. And we we're kind of left to find our own way spiritually, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a very similar experience. So when did you really come to an understanding of uh, uh, the gospel itself? Well, I'm still working on that, Charlie. Well, so. I am too, but you know what I mean. <laughs> when would you say yeah. you had a a, a conversion or born-again experience? Or Yeah, well, it was uh, it when I was uh, 24 years of age. And it was the culmination of a process that had begun uh, when I was uh, 18. When I was 18, I started dating a girl in high school who was uh, Roman Catholic. So I would go to mass with her and went, you know, we we dated for about nine months or so. Uh, And then at the University of Minnesota, I met my wife, Lee. She was also Roman Catholic. So I went to mass with her Um, when uh, I proposed. uh, Part of the deal was I had to go through uh, some classes and uh, uh, what do they call catechism classes, join the Catholic church so that we could be married. And so I took those very seriously and I started having some some real questions at that point. Um, Went to mass regularly, sometimes would go during the week. Um, and, and so these questions started popping up in my mind. And in the meantime, I had some other people in my life that uh, had come to faith in Christ. One of them was my, my youngest brother. And uh, so he would pose questions to me. So I, I went to the priest and um, asked these questions and he tried to answer them and I'd go away and I'd do some reading and I'd come back with some more. And finally his answer came down to, uh, because I said so, which was never, uh, you know, I was, I was a real bit rebellious, hard-headed, I'm uh, gonna do things my way. So um, then I really started reading the Bible in earnest. And at that very same time, uh, God brought a couple of, Christian people into my life that really began uh, declaring the gospel and answering my questions about, uh, you know, Christ and the church and eternal life and what have you. And I remember uh, I had gone, uh, I think it was Seventh-day Adventist, 
had a uh, prophecy crusade for three nights mm -hmm. about an hour away from where we live. So my youngest brother took me to this prophecy conference. And on the third night, they were talking about the Great Tribulation. And that really uh, alarmed me. So I asked, I asked my brother uh, on the way home that night, uh, what do I have to do to... Uh, not be around when this tribulation business breaks out. And uh, he, you know, he talked me through it. And then he gave me a four spiritual laws track. You know, and if you remember the old yellow cover. I remember. Uh, yeah. So I uh, got home that evening. Uh, Lee was already asleep for the night. Uh, and I sat in a chair and I read through the four spiritual laws. And um, in spite of the, uh, uh, questionable theology in some parts of it. It clicked. So I got down on my knees right in front. We had a lazy boy rocker that was covered in crushed gray velour, if you remember those, and, mm -hmm. and, a, and a floor lamp next to it. And right there, I prayed and uh, opened my heart to God and uh, invited Christ in, And uh, which now I would probably tell people the process is a little bit different, but it, it, it worked in my case and at that and, and, and was radically changed <laughs> over the next 50 years. So it's been kind of a radically incremental over 50 years. <laughs> I would call it a gradual change. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, 24 years of age. Uh, I was an owner in a biz part owner in a business. Um, doing quite well financially, but um, started attending a, a small little Baptist church and, and uh, the pastor took me under his wing as well as one of the deacons. And uh, a week after I was baptized, um, the uh, chairman of the deacon board took me witnessing to um, uh, Americans that were in Mexican prisons sharing the gospel and ministering to them. And the pastor would take me out on home visitation to church visitors. So, um, you know, I didn't realize that we were supposed to be afraid of evangelism. I found that out later that that's supposed to be a scary proposition. But um, I don't know if I'm uh, going too far into this, Charlie, if you want me to back off, but it was, it was that relationship with the pastor that ended up, um, leading me into uh, full-time ministry. Uh, I'd been a pre-med student at the University of Minnesota. Uh, the Vietnam War came along and changed a few uh, plans. Um, and I found out later that I could make more money with a whole lot less work by uh, becoming a commodities broker. So I did that instead of medicine. But I had all these questions uh, related to science uh, and uh, uh, microevolution. Um, so the pastor told me, he said, I, I can't answer your questions because they're beyond me, but I'll tell you who can. And he sent me, put me in contact with the Institute for Creation Research with Dr. Henry Morris and Dwayne Gish and right. fellows that are now at home with the Lord. And that started my education. And um, the very first class I had to take was um, by a, a taught by a man who became a mentor, 
Uh, he was a New Testament, uh, did his THD at Dallas. And first day of class, Fred walked in, um, opened up his Bible and began teaching through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, developing the argument and, you know, unfolding. And I had the distinct experience that in the midst of that classroom with 30 or 40 other people, that God was reaching down from heaven and grabbed me around the throat and said, this is the direction you're going to go. Hmm. So it entirely ambushed and surprised. Because wow. I was just there to take a couple of classes and then go back to work. So what was that professor's name? Fred, Fred Nofer. Okay. He did his uh, doctoral dissertation on the uh, lacuna in uh, Romans 5.1, whether it's imperative or indicative. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> dissertation on that. I, I went and looked it up. So, hmm. so you, you ended up graduating from Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, with a THM and also Western Seminary mm -hmm. uh, with your D-men. And um, so you understood salvation by grace. Uh, mm -hmm. Back when you said you were about 24 years old. Yes. Yeah. So uh, did you understand what it meant to live by grace? No. And how did that, uh, and how I, did that transform your life? Well, um I, 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 we could get real deep in the weeds here, and I, and 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 we probably don't want to do that. But it might help I always had. Pardon me. It might help somebody to hear your story if you do. That's all yeah. right. Well, I, I, I bear in mind, I I had this predisposition growing up, you know, being a firstborn and um, being a high achiever that. Um, I was always suspicious of the argument from authority. And um, e even though these were godly people in the, the little Baptist church, uh, when they started laying out for me, you know, what the Christian life looks like, and they started developing these, these lists of behaviors, um, I was skeptical because I found other passages just in my own reading that um, did not really make sense to me. Hmm. Uh, they did, In other words, they didn't fit. Um, and so, you know, I was untrained. So I did go to Bible college and then went to seminary at Dallas. And it was uh, through my time at Dallas seminary, even though I didn't uh, have any cl uh, classes with uh, some of the guys that, you know, became leading lights in the grace movement. Um, but it was in all of that, that um, I began to recognize the internal tension within Reformed theology and their approach to sanctification. Uh -huh. So, um, uh, I didn't have the benefit, for example, of taking any courses from Zane Hodges. Um, I did have a half semester course in evangelism from Mike Kokoris. So I read some of his stuff. Um, and it, I finally began to understand uh, a little bit about the grace thing, probably 
in the late 1980s when it really, really began to, to start to click. At least I saw the outlines. I didn't, you know, the handles, but I didn't see all the right. connections. So Can I back up one uh, second for those who are wondering what you you said that you were starting to think about the reformed approach to um, the Christian life. Mm -hmm. What what do you mean by that? Well, um, gosh, we could go deep into the. Uh, well, I just thought somebody that's listening might wonder what you're talking about. So, yeah. just... well, okay, yeah. Basically, um, as I understand it, uh, the Puritan and the uh, British Calvinist, uh, the Reformed approach to the Christian life is that. Um, they give you a, a, a mixed message. Um, on the one hand, we're saved by faith, and yet we're born again before we exercise faith. Mm -hmm. And out of that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're elected to faith, and the faith to what we are elected necessarily results in or produces uh, good works, uh, which are along the path to sanctification. And um, in my experience and my conversations with seminary classmates that were of the Reformed persuasion, the emphasis of the Reformed approach to um, the Christian life is intensely focused on sin management and self-effort. And um, the, the concept that we live in the same way that we enter into eternal life is absent from Reformed theology. Mm -hmm. um, we want to go a little bit deeper into that. So we're or, saved by grace, but then the yep. focus shifts from grace to our own works, much like the yeah, system. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so sanctification becomes, um, uh, it's interesting, that we're saved as a monergistic work of God, but we're saved or we're sanctified, which uh, either preserves or proves our salvation as a result of a synergistic work between us and God. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I find that to be mostly foreign to my understanding of the New Testament now. How would you phrase it then? Uh, well, uh, uh, again, I said uh, only half facetiously that I'm still trying to understand. <laughs> but the but I think that um, the key uh, in the way I phrase it is that we enter into eternal life uh, as a responding to God's gracious message by believing that he, what He says about us is true and what He says about Jesus is true. And I think that we also live the Christian life in exactly the same way. And that is that we believe what Jesus says about us, what the, the scripture says about us is true. We are a new creation. Um, all of those old um, things, sin, sinful characteristics, sinful behaviors that we try to manage have already been conquered if we walk in faith, if we walk in the spirit. And so I suppose you could say that, that kind of the hinge, uh, the fulcrum in, in the Christian life is what Paul says, uh, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. And it's out of that mindset 
that naturally, uh, at least in my life, uh, obedience and service and love uh, flows naturally. I don't have to try to gin anything up. It's just there. Yeah. So did your realization of this, it sounds like it didn't come up overnight. It came a little bit slowly and you were putting the pieces together. And how did that make a difference in your practical life, your everyday life? If I was looking at you, I probably wouldn't have been able to see anything different. Right. But inside things were going on. Yeah. Well, in, in terms of, of how I live or, or or how that grace and that faith work out in my, my daily life, um, oftentimes... Um, when I start to feel that internal tension, when I'm letting the old nature express itself, and I'm and I'm also trying to be sensitive to the spirit, I'll get caught up. And so, you know, very you know, right out of First John, uh, I will stop what I'm doing if I can stop what I'm doing, and just reflect on the fact that I have sinned and that I have failed. And that what is emerging at this moment in time in my anger or frustration um, is of the old man. And I ask forgiveness for that. And I ask for help for that. <clears throat> and um, sometimes what will happen, Charlie, uh, is uh, <laughs> uh, like three, four o'clock in the morning, um, the Lord will wake me up and I'll go, sit in the hot tub or whatever, and I'll just reflect on, you know, what a wretch still lives inside of me, part of that nature. And I'm overwhelmed with the grace and the love of God. Uh, and, and I'm motivated not by a checklist or a task list of things that I have to do to please God, but just naturally in a, in a, as a response to his love then, um, you know, I find myself walking in the spirit, being patient with other people, uh, you know, loving my wife sacrificially. It's nothing that I try to gin up, nothing that I try to do. I'm not trying to manage my own right. sin because yeah. I can't. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, practically. Uh, and, and, and so uh, my life is much more... Um, content. Um, for many years, I was driven by the need for affirmation, for the need for um, recognition. Um, and I, my approach to life out of my teens and into my 20s was if people don't respect me, then I'm going to make sure they fear me. Hmm. Um, and has taken all of that away. So I'm much more at ease, much more at peace. Um, uh, and, and as I said, it's it this grace of God just flows through me. If, and all I have to do is to make sure that I'm living in faith. And uh, a lot of what people would counsel me to take on and do myself, I, I think it's the Holy Spirit that's empowering me to do those things. Hmm. And I don't have to gin up the energy so that I don't find myself in lamenting with Paul at the end of Romans chapter seven. You know, I'm trapped in this body of death and helpless. So, yeah, it's to me, those to are very practical. It's great to know that our um, 
we can have peace and contentment, not because of what we do and our performance, but because of who we are, who God has made us to be. And he has accepted us because of who we are Mm -hmm. and what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's all. So we're saved by grace. We're also sanctified by grace. We grow by grace, and it's where we find our peace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and interesting. Like, Paul yeah. always introduces his letters, you know, grace and peace, because without grace, you don't have peace. Right. Yeah, and I think um, if, I'm probably guilty of projecting here, somewhat, but I think I'm on good grounds to say that one of the reasons. Perhaps the primary reason that most people do not live in peace is because they are still struggling for affirmation. They're struggling for worth. Um, They're struggling for a sense of of value in themselves. But even that is a gift uh, that God gives us. First of all, because we're made as image bearers and therefore we are intrinsically valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I think it's Genesis 9, 6, that um, to raise up your hand against a fellow human being and do damage to them is to raise your hand up against God himself. And then First Peter talks about the fact that we are not redeemed, you know, with blood, I mean, with gold and silver and precious stones but by the blood of Christ. And, you know, having been a capitalist and having been a commodities broker for a number of years, um, I recognize that a thing is only worth what someone will pay for it. And if the son of God of infinite personal worth and value was to shed his blood for me, he is telling me what I am worth in his eyes. So, what difference does it make what other people who really don't think of me at all think of me? So I found tremendous release from something that, that drove me hard for, for many decades of my life. And it's a gift. I think all of us have been on that affirmation train, looking for the approval of others or to prove ourselves to be success, a success or competent and so forth. And then we find out that, you know, we're, we're, our significance comes from God. Someone, I think it was right. Bob Buford, the book, Second Half, he said, we spend the first half of our lives looking for success, the second half of our lives looking for significance, somewhat related. Um, yeah. Somewhat related to what we're talking about. So how are you sharing these yeah. truths with others? God has given you a ministry. Uh, you were pastor for a while. Uh, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about your ministry journey. Well, um, when I was uh, in my third year at Dallas Seminary, I was an Old Testament major. Loved it. Loved the Hebrew Bible. Um, But before the start of my fourth year, God addressed me and I found a heretofore unknown passion or desire to um, pastor people because I was intent on becoming a professional academic. But uh, God changed my direction. He said, no, I want you to minister people in church. So I did that for um, two churches for 13 years all in total. And then uh, at the end of my second ministry, a, uh, a friend and mentor who was involved in doing intentional interim work in troubled churches said, um, I'd like you to consider in uh, joining the team here because I think you're cut out for this. So uh, I did that 
kind of work, um, you know, doing intentional interim work mm-hmm. for about 10 years. <clears throat> and during the course of that, uh, I got, uh, uh, you know, at least a master's level, if not a uh, doctoral level crash course in the functional church, uh, di- you know, the f- dysfunctional families that we call the church. Yeah. And um, met my two uh, current colleagues in about 2010. And uh, at that point, we had all three of us um, uh, uh, had been doing intentional interim work for a number of years. Uh, One of them was actually a classmate of mine at uh, Dallas Seminary, Gordon Penfold. And uh, so we got interested in trying to identify what are the unique and distinguishing leadership behaviors of pastors that are skilled at revitalizing churches that are in trouble. So we did some original research um, and we did that in 2010, 2011, 2012. And then we recently um, uh, reduplicated that research with a much larger data set. Mm-hmm. And um, so we thought, hmm, since we're talking about learned behaviors here, maybe we can figure out how to train pastors who are in troubled churches that are stagnant and in decline to lead those churches to new life themselves instead of them having to leave and the church go through all the upheaval of trying to find another pastor. So that with that we began that work, excuse me, in earnest in 20. 2012, 2013. Uh-huh. And uh, out of that, the ministry is called Turnaround Pastors Turnaround is the name Pastors. of it. Yeah, why don't you say that? Right. So hear it. right. Yeah. And then we recently uh, just finished up um, about a year ago a, um, I think it's going to turn out to be a landmark study on what are the distinct leadership behaviors of church planters who succeed from those who don't. And uh, uh, we're in the midst, one of our guys, one of our team members uh, is gonna use our research as part of his doctoral dissertation at Talbot. Uh, We've already rolled it out, but we'll be doing a large presentation at the Exponential Conference. And uh, we've met with a number of uh, agencies, people that have been doing, you know, church planning for 20 or 30 years and it's like, so often we get, aha, now we see what the issue is. So we're pretty excited about that. So we're going to be uh, launching that ministry here sometime. That not too very deep. exciting and very promising. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that would like to find out more about that. What's what's the website where they can re- access some of these resources? Um, probably the best thing to do at this moment, because we haven't published anything, would be for them to email me and my email is easy to remember. It's bud at budbrown.net, the ultimate vanity email. And I'll be happy to send them some drafts of uh, materials that we're putting together or, you know, uh, visit with them over the phone or what have you. We'll put that in the introductory remarks. So people will be reminded, reminded of that email. And then uh, I recently uh, been going through your book, um, lifeless to new life uh biblical prayer 
uh, to resurrect the lifeless church. And mm-hmm. it's about it's about taking prayer seriously. You know, the books mm-hmm. on prayer are almost gratuitous. You almost expect, expect somebody to write one. But what I found when I read your book is you're really passionate about this. You really are convinced that prayer is the key. And I, I think we ought to spend uh, some time talking about that in the future. Uh, but for now, people can look it up. Um, Lifeless to New Life by L. Mm-hmm. E. Brown. That's your initials. L. Right. Brown. And I think they'll find mm-hmm. that very useful. So mm-hmm. um, let, let's do another podcast on that. Because, you know, you. prayer is a subject we we take for granted. It's become a cliche and nothing more. And it's really the really where we get our power from. I've got I got some questions to ask about that and maybe some reflections on it myself. So great. It'd be, be a fun conversation. <laughs> well, Butters, there's somebody out there and 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 they're struggling with the sense of uh, identity and acceptance with God. Uh, they may be a, a person who's known the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior for a while. Uh, you have a mm-hmm. brief word for them as we finish up here. A word of, of uh, counsel would be, <clears throat> excuse me, to spend some time meditating on and reflecting on what it means to be an image bearer. Um, you know, the image that we bear is that of God himself. Uh, you know, what, how, whatever that entails. But that means in God's eyes that we are of infinite value. Um, the book of Genesis mentions that we are made in the image of God which testifies to the fact that God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. And just as um, somebody that would lay hand on Caesar's image in the uh, Roman Empire, or they would lay um, a hand on a negative example, I suppose Saddam Hussein's image when he was in power would be in serious jeopardy because it's who we represent and who has made us in his image. That's where our value comes from. So I I would suggest meditating on that. And then the other one that has been extremely meaningful in my life is to think through 1 John 4.19. He loves because we love because he Loved us. Sorry about that. Yeah. Almost had a malapropism there. But um, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's really understanding those that released me. Now, there's a there's a long story behind uh, what was involved in that. Uh, the Holy Spirit had to ask me while I was in seminary, why are you so driven? Hmm. And the answer was, because I don't like myself, because I don't think anybody else does either. Mm. And that's what led me on this journey of trying to understand what makes us valuable as human beings. Yeah. Well, it's nothing that we do. It's who made us. That's why we're valuable. So that's, you know, I, I encourage people all the time to do that. Um, yeah, I would probably identify with that idea of being driven for much of my life and probably still am to some degree. So that's good insight. I know there's a lot of people listening who I've asked myself the same question. Why am I driven? Other people seem to be so relaxed and enjoying life. And I feel like I have to be doing something all the time. Um, Yeah. You know, but uh, 
I think God is happy with us just because we belong to him and he loves us. We love him because he first loved us. Well, Bud, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. I'm looking forward to uh, maybe talking with you in the near future, uh, especially about the prayer. And then some of the other ideas you have with your ministry, turnaround pastors. I know you're mentoring pastors and and helping out a lot of churches uh, to grow in a healthy way and bring life back to them. And, uh, I think people might want to get in touch with you. We'll put your email again at the beginning of the notes so people can get a hold mm-hmm. of you. And I really do appreciate our friendship through the years. It's been a good while. And um, yeah, really a great encouragement to me and uh, Grace Life Ministries all through those years. Yeah. So. Well, we really believe in what you're doing. And we're not of the financial means anymore to, uh, you know, uh, hit it hard, but we uh, we do enjoy being a partner with you on that. And uh, if you would uh, please say hi to Karen for us, would you? <laughs> oh, sure. Okay, and uh, and to Lee as well. So thanks, okay. Bud, and God bless you. Bless you, my friend. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.